We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Well, good afternoon, everyone out there. I am Vince D'Addario, and I am the football analyst here at irishbreakdown.com. And with me, as always, is my guy, Brian Driscoll. He's the publisher at irishbreakdown.com. Brian, how do you today? I'm good, and I just want everybody to know I screenshotted Vince dancing off camera during that mean. 30 seconds. So um, that's, that's cruel that and will be going up on my uh my page later. So no, I'm good. I'm good. It's been a, it's been an interesting week, uh, ready to talk some Notre Dame football, ready to talk some Notre Dame recruiting. And, um, if anybody wants to talk about NFL draft, I just put an article up at irishbreakdown.com talking about, uh, the NFL draft Bible has, uh, where they have Aaron Banks, Robert Hainsey and, uh, Tommy Kramer ranked. And then they had, I haven't put anything up on it yet, but they have Liam Eikenberg ranked as the number two right tackle. Uh, and, and I didn't get that one. You know, I, huh. I, I'm, I think Ian, he's guys being slept on right now. I'm going to have, we're going to do a video about that next week. You know, is Ian, is Ian, Liam Meikenberg a first round pick? Cause that one's a mystery to me. Cause I was actually talking with Tim O'Malley from Irish illustrated about this a week or so ago. And we were ranking like the seasons that Notre Dame guys have had. And we both thought that other than maybe Zach Martin, Lee Meikenberg's 2020 season was as good as we've seen as a, from a left tackle at Notre Dame, and they were all top 16 picks. And yeah, he's being projected into round two. So I don't get that one, but we'll talk about that one next week. But we're kind of ready to to take some questions. Tommy, Tommy has joined us. What's up, Tommy? How are you? So um, yeah, ready to take some questions and uh, and really talk some Notre Dame football. So we talk football, talk recruiting, talk draft. Yep. If you want to talk basketball, you can. <laughs> I mean. We follow the team. We cover the team. Um, you know, it's kind of a schizophrenic team uh, yeah. this year, but we can talk about it. Yeah. That's for sure. But I don't care what Duke's record is. Anytime you beat Duke, that's, uh, a, well, that's look, a plus for me. They beat Duke at Cameron, and they beat 
uh, North Carolina and Chapel Hill in the same year with this team. I mean, but, but blew a 17 point lead at Georgia Tech. Anyway, right. I don't go there. We'll go. Let's go back to football. Let's go back to football. <laughs> That's fair. So uh, we've got. We'll take your questions, obviously, live, but we've got a couple of questions uh, kind of loaded up, ready to roll. Uh, Brian had put out on social media, on the Facebook page, and uh, on Twitter, and wherever else he put it, and we've got some questions uh, loaded up. So we'll go ahead and start there, and then if some live questions start coming in, you know, we'll start going to those. We're, mm-hmm. It's pretty laid back. Mailbag Friday is a laid back show, yeah. and I, I dig we'll it. Just talk football and see what's on your guys' minds, and you know we're going to write about the things we want to write about, but we also like to know what you guys want to talk about, right. what you guys want to write about, so you guys and gals. So, um, yes, let's, let's get rolling. All right, Brian. So our first question comes from Jeff, uh, and here it is. Mike Elson commented that Notre Dame can recruit roughly half of the top 100 prospects, and he did that, of course, in his press conference uh, on signing day, part two. Uh, what holds Notre Dame back from landing more top 100 kids, the number of available prospects or the head coach's unwillingness to recruit at the level other elite head coaches do? So what, what, obviously what Mike Elson was talking about was just the number of guys they're able to recruit based on academics, kids right. not being interested. Um, some kids are looking for things that Notre Dame isn't willing to offer. Right. Um, I mean, we could talk about McDonald's bags of cash if we want, but uh, but that's not as as great of a number as you think. But what really keeps them from landing more is really just I don't I don't want to put it. I think it'd be lazy for me to just say Kelly's got to recruit more. Yeah, I think there's other changes that need to be made. Some subtle, some, you know, uh, need to be better. I think part of its personnel on staff. I love Clark Lee as a defensive co- coordinator. I mean, he did a phenomenal job. And I don't want to make this seem like now that he's gone, it's like kick Clark Lee that he's out. Th- but he was never a great recruiter. You know, he was a bit a, a bit slow with really determining who they were going to go after, who they were going to recruit, things like that. And you can't be slow to get involved with top players. That's, I mean, and I think that's the bigger issue. I think it was the and and slow. It's. Bigger issue for methodic. him, right? He's more methodic very, with way he's very methodical. Yeah, I think slow, that's a great way to put it. Slow is an I, it can be taken a couple different ways. Yeah. He's methodic in who he wants to put out offers out to. Yeah. He, wants he wants to make to sure certain. that they're the fit and he wants to be certain. Right. But in in this day and age, this isn't 1962. Yeah. You can't you can't do that. You have to throw out offers right. um kind of as a blanket. And right. then you kind of narrow it down from there. And you made a you made a good point the other day when we were talking about uh, the needs uh, on mm-hmm. both sides of the ball, where you know you can put offers out there, right. and you say these are th- this is not a a committable offer. We're interested. We're, we we want to be part of this. We're going to recruit you, but you can't commit. Yeah. Right. But with elite elite kids, you don't have to do that. Well, that's I mean, exactly. Yeah. They're exactly. not gonna, <laughs> they're not going to commit to you tomorrow anyway. You, you know what I mean? You're going to exactly. have to keep working. You you got to get in the mix. And then if you need to bow out because you found out that there's a character issue or he's unwilling to take foreign languages or whatever the case may be, then you can right. bow out. You know. Uh, but you got to get involved early. You know. I think I think more teamwork is needed. Uh, we haven't seen enough of that. And I think another part of beyond just Brian Kelly's personal involvement is. I think Brian Kelly needs to make more certain. He's got more dogs in the recruiting trail on his staff. You know, I mean, look, Audrey Denson, good running backs coach. Not, I mean, mediocre recruiter would would be kind of being nice. Be I mean, kind, he just yeah. he wasn't getting it done. He didn't put in the work needed. He didn't grind at it. And you, you know, you let him be here for four years. I mean, and it's not the only situation. So, you know, I think there needs to be a standard set. 
from a recruiting standpoint to say, hey, guys, this is what we're looking after. These are the types of players that we're going to get from a character standpoint, academic standpoint, but we want to get the best of the best that fit that mold. Yep. And Vince, you know, there's a lot of top ranked kids that are like that. There's plenty of Kyle Hamilton type kids out there. You just got to put in the work to get them. You know, they want to yeah. feel valued. They want to know that they're wanted. You know, and I think just look at the impact that Marcus Freeman had on Tyson Ford. Tyson Ford is a Notre Dame kid through and through. Mike Elson did a great job getting Notre Dame in that mix. But it wasn't until you had that D coordinator situation come in and say, hey, right. let's do this. Let's tag team this that you got it. You got over the hump. Did the same thing with Aiden Gobera. So. Uh, you know, I, I think that that my bigger concern is offensively right now. Are there are there dogs on offensive from a recruiting standpoint? We'll have to find out. But and then the final piece is Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly can't be in a situation where Brian Polian said, you know, coach will do whatever we ask him uh, ask him to do. And that right there was the biggest indictment I've ever seen about Brian Kelly as a recruiter. He was trying to he was trying to protect him and defend him. <clears throat> sure. And Brian Polian and Mike Elson do as good of a they're about as loyal of coaches as you're going to get, and that's a compliment. They're that's gonna why Brian Polian was back on the staff. Right. They're, they're going to defend their coach, their ultimate professional, so I don't have any ill will towards them. But he didn't realize he was actually kind of insulting Brian Kelly. Not, not on purpose. Maybe insulting is a bad word, but he was indicting Brian Kelly in my, in my eyes because great head coaches shouldn't have to be asked to do things. Brian Kelly should walk in and say, hey, who are the 15 game changers that are on the board for us right now? And give them to me, and and I'm going to do what I got to do. You know what I mean? Right. Give me everything I need to know. Give me all the all the different things I need to see, and and yeah. we're going to get after these kids. And, right. and then you hope to get two to three to four of them. You know, sure. And and that's what he should do. He shouldn't have to be told to do that or asked to do that. So I think it's a comprehensive thing. And the good news is Notre Dame is close. I mean, I'm I'm working on an article about this. It's taken me a while to get going because I'm doing the research and I'm using you know, class calculators and looking at other different things to try to see, like, they're not that far away. That's the exciting thing, but also the frustrating thing when it comes to this. No, I agree. And uh, it, it's I, – I think people get really tied into the fact that the different coaches have regions and things of that nature, you know, throughout the country. And I think that that was more apropos during the 80s and the 90s mm -hmm. Where, you know, this guy had the Midwest, this right. guy had the Southeast, this guy had California and Hawaii, et cetera, et cetera. With technology and communication and the way things are now, I think those regions just mean less and less. Well, You're, they're just intro things. I mean, that's, that's you, exactly you figure right. out who we need to go after. And, you know, and it's, it's a very preliminary thing. It's an early thing. Right. Anyone that's just doing regions now is, is and it's also about visits. You know, when we go out in the spring and we're hitting the road, you know, who's going to go where? to a degree early in the process. So, right. Yeah. Right. The region thing is not as important. You got to be recruiting your position. And and so that's why there's certain positions on offense where you hear about kids liking Notre Dame and they only mention Tommy Reese or in the case of like Logan Diggs, he mentioned Tommy Reese and the safeties coach. Well, I get that the safeties coach is from Louisiana and he needs to be involved, but kid never mentioned Lance Taylor. Right. That's problematic. You know, you know what I mean? And it's always one of those things. Well, they got Tyson Ford anyway. Yeah, but they should be able to get Tyson Ford and, with yes. better a better plan, you get Tyson Ford and, and that's really where we're at. So it's, but that's why it's exciting to see what Marcus Freeman is doing because you're seeing really good teamwork right now on the defensive side of the ball, and so far it's it's worked out well. They've gotten two commitments in a month, absolutely. And there's guys on the board now that are listing Notre Dame as top options that weren't even weren't didn't have any offers a month yep. ago, and yep. and and now it's so it's it's been a it's been a good thing to see. 
All right, let's move on to one of our live questions uh, from uh, from Richard. Do you foresee any circumstance where Jack Cohn is not the starting quarterback this upcoming season? I'll let you lead off on this. Yeah, I mean, obviously injury. I think we all that's a given. But I look, I think that if there's a situation where a Drew Pine or a Brendan Clark comes in and just outplays Jack Cohn day after day, yeah. Look, I don't think Notre Dame, you know, they went into the 2018 season with Ian Book competing for a starting job, right? Uh, the way that Brandon Wimbush finished the 2017 season opened up a, a, a quarterback competition, but Ian Book had to earn it, and he had to prove it over time because Brandon was still an established quarterback that led Notre Dame to to 10 wins over a schedule that had eight ranked opponents that season. So, you know, I think that it's it's going to have to take someone like Drew Pine just outplaying Jack Cohn every single day because – Right. It's one of those things where, and and this is something I am actually, I'm not criticizing the staff for this. This is something I agree with. If it's close between a a 50 who has led his team to a Big Ten championship and the Rose Bowl, Big Ten championship game and the Rose Bowl and a redshirt freshman who's got two career attempts, if it's close, you're going to go with the veteran. No doubt. You should go with the veteran. No doubt. Um, It's, it's, you know, it, close in talent, and, and I don't think Jack Drew Pine or Brendan Clark are like Phil Dracovic, where the talent level is just so great that you just it's time to put that kid on the field. So, yeah, I think they're going to just have to outplay him, and it's going to have to be through the spring. And then what they do in the spring will determine whether or not they have a shot to then legitimately yes. battle in the fall. So, yep. uh, could I see it? Yeah, I, I could see it, Richard. I could definitely see that situation happening, but it's going to be tough. Yeah, you know, they're going to have to be significantly better than Jack Cohn on a consistent basis, and even then, I I would still imagine that Jack Cohn would start in the opener. Uh, and I think the other th- unless here's the here's the the one wild card. Obviously, an up a new injury is is uh, obvious, but he's coming off of a foot injury, and we don't know yet what his mobility is going to be sure. like, what his footwork is going to be like. Uh, you know, so, th- so those are some unknowns, but, but it's going to be tough, but I do legitimately think that the returners and Tyler Buckner are going to get a chance to battle. And if they're clearly the better player, I do think they'll get a chance, maybe not the opener, but it's going to be one of those things where if they're ready and they're chomping at the bit and they're right on his heels, it's not going to take as much for them to, to work. In it. But whoever the number two quarterback is should get opportunities early in the season to get worked in. Like we've talked about in the past. I, I will say that when uh, I heard about Jack Cohn coming to Notre Dame, and, and we heard whispers of it for a while before it was announced. And the kid was committed I, to Notre Dame for lacrosse. Yeah, he was. Early so, in his I mean, career. so there was always that connection there. No doubt. And and when I heard that he was coming in as a grad transfer, number one, I wasn't surprised. Uh, number two, at first, I wasn't very happy about it. I was like, oh, here we go again. You know, the veteran quarterback, going to bring him in, automatic starter. He's going to ignore everybody else that's in the room. The more I thought about it, the more I'm on board with it. Because if Tyler Buckner ends up being your number two, if he's like right here underneath Jack Cohn, uh, and they play him in significant periods during games, okay, I think that's best case scenario. If Jack Mm -hmm. Cohn is number one, Tyler Buckner is number two, but Buckner gets reps with the ones during the season in preparation for next year, I think that's the number one best case scenario for this year. That's me personally, because then I think that sets up Buckner to be the starter next year. And then of course, I think you're going to see some transfers uh, out of that room. Um, that, that assumes, however, that, that, that 
that Jack Cohn is the player that I think he could be. Well, and, and that absolutely I had a, correct. If you remember, Vince, I had a different reaction to Jack Cohn coming to ball. I actually like Jack Cohn, you know, and and as far as what you talked about, like the role you talked about, it's it's I think the kick and play, and and I think he does some things mentally better than Ian Book. He doesn't have Ian Book's arm or athleticism, but mentally sure. he does things better than Ian Book. Timing, anticipation, reading defenses. So that part's going to be interesting, but it's kind of like Ben Skoranek when he signed. You know, we did a we we talked about this, and then I did a podcast because you hadn't you hadn't come over yet. But uh, and I said this is a great one if they use him correctly, which is as your third or fourth receiver, move him around, work him in. If you're just going to throw him into the you know starting role and and there's really no battle, right. then it's a mistake. Right. And that's kind of how I feel about the Jack Cohn situation. If Jack Cohn has to earn it and has to say, hey, I'm going to have to prove that I'm the better quarterback, then, then this will work out. Because if he earns it, that tells me he's healthy and he's back to being the guy that I think he can be. But if it's just one of those things where because he's a veteran, he's going to play, and it doesn't matter how he plays, uh, that to me is a mistake. But that's not a Jack Cohn thing. That's more of a Brian Kelly in that Brian that Kelly that's guy. exactly where I was coming from on that it wasn't a it wasn't a you know I wasn't condemning Jack Cohn I mm-hmm. I think he's doing what's best for him and that's yeah. awesome um it was more from the coaching staff so yeah. all right uh let's see here which one do we want to go to next so this is a fun one and it'll be a quick answer I would imagine uh old Grimm what happened to the DN from Germany I'm talking about Alex Ahrensberger Alexander right. Ahrensberger um, right you know, from everything I've heard is they still like him. I mean, I, I, I don't think he was expected to play this year. I mean, this is a kid that, that never played American football. Until and he was he, a high ceiling kid. Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But he was going to need time. But yes. I, I think the one game I remember him getting in against South Florida, you're like, boy, this kid's got some skills. You know, this kid's got some stuff to work with. He's big. He's like 6'7". Yeah. It's 250 plus. He's and he got on the field kid. a little bit last year, didn't he? Couple games. That's couple, it. Like, I mean, he didn't play a whole lot or whatever. But yeah. yeah, but he showed some. He showed some tools. But but yeah, look, they're they were loaded defensive end this year. They really were. And you know, he's a kid that is just going to need some time. But I, I haven't heard anything from anybody that I talk to that makes me say that they've already determined oh, he can't play. I've heard the opposite. Right. I think he can play. It's just he's really raw. And it's not just you know you can look the part and be athletic, but you gotta you gotta ha- have some instincts and feel for it. And I think that's the part right. he's still learning because just the level he played at and the game he played at in Germany is just different than playing like you know in Atlanta or Dallas or Miami or, or something like that. He's just he's got a sure. ways to go. But everything I've heard is they like they like what he brings to the table. Got one here from Matt. Do you think that Marcus Freeman will pull a Clark Lee and innovate the previous defensive scheme that was put in place before him? Or does he trim the fat and put his IQ on these boys? You know, Matt, I'm, I'm, I think he's going to – how do I say this? So I think he's going to take the things that they did well mm-hmm. and, and put them into what he does. And I think that's what I took out of his comments on signing day, which is he basically said, I'd be an idiot to just dismiss what they've done the last three years. And, and he's correct. I mean – to me, that's what good coaches do, and we talked about this in the Needs podcast. What a great coach does is he says, hey, here's what I'm inheriting, and here's what they're really good at. We're going to build our, our defense in 2021 around that. I'm going to recruit for what I want to do ultimately. Yes, right. And then when we get to that point, then we'll we'll slowly transition to that, right? Right. And yes. so I think that's what he's going to do. I think he's going to do – He look, and, and the thing about like Clark Lee didn't really innovate the defense. He just put his DNA into it. I mean – Everything about it is still the same defense that Mike Elko ran. It's just right. it kind of had his DNA on it, things he likes, and also it adapted to the personnel. 
And if you go watch the 2018 defense and then you go watch the 2020 defense, schematically it's going to look very different because he had different players. You know, right. he, he left his corners on an island all the time in 2018 because he had great corners. Uh, he put a lot more on the safeties in 2018 than he put on Sean Crawford. And, and the times he did put that on Sean Crawford, you saw what happened. Uh, his linebackers were far less aggressive in 2018 because he had he had guys that weren't great blitzers and Tavon Coney and Drew Trank, but they were really smart guys. So they did a lot of force on defense, which meant they were funneling everything back into the linebackers, where this year they're like, hey, let's spill things. Let's get teams on the perimeter and let's get our our, our athleticism going. Let's get right. Kyle Hamilton downhill. Let's get Jeremiah Wusu-Koromo in space. So I think Clark Lee did a great job tailoring his his philosophy to the skills of his players in most instances. And I think we'll see the same thing from Marcus Freeman, and 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 which and what that is going to look like for me. Number one, Vince, is we're going to see a lot more multiplicity in base defenses from week to week. Clark I Lee agree. was very much a we're a four two five, and this is who we are. Except third down, he was very uh, regimented in how he was going to approach things, and then from that regiment of we're a four two five, there would be some versatility. Right, right. You're going to see from Marcus Freeman one week they're a four two five. With with a true four two five with two linebackers five DBs. Other weeks you're going to see a four two five with a rover. Other weeks you're going to see a three three five. I'm just telling you right now, and that's going to be like. And when I talk about see it, I'm talking about on base defense. Right. You're going to see it every week, but you're going to see weeks where okay, this week they're doing more three three five. This week where they're doing more four two five, and it's going to be built more around the opponents. Clark Lee would scheme for opponents. He didn't personnel for opponents. I think right. Marcus Freeman is going to do more personnel for opponents, if that makes sense, like yeah. matchup-wise. And, and I think this year is going to be a bit of a transition year anyway because, you know, do, does everybody on this roster fit into exactly what Marcus Freeman wants to do? No. I mean, that that's just a right. fact. Now, can some of these guys fit and, and kind of move and you can kind of reshape their bodies and you can do some different things? Absolutely. Yeah. But I still think this first year, maybe even a little bit into next year, is going to be a little bit of a transition. And but to to you, what you were saying, to the naked eye, things are going to look a lot different. Yeah, because I don't, I don't think he's going to gonna transmission trans. I don't think he's going to be. I don't think there's going to be as much of a transition as you as you do. And, okay. and what I mean by that is, I think Marcus Freeman is a type of coach, and we've seen him do this at Cincinnati. I mean, their 2019 and their 2020 defense looked a lot different personnel-wise because the strengths of the defense were different. And, and what that tells me about him as a coach is he's going to build around what he sees as the best parts of this team. So he's not sure. going to ask them to – and he said this during his press conference, and, and I believe this to be true. Look, coaches say all types of things at press conferences, right? The reason I'm buying what he's saying is because I saw him do it at Cincinnati. And that is, I'm not going to ask Isaiah Foskey to to be something that I don't think he can be because that's what I do. You know, I'm going to take what he does and we're going to build that position around him, you know, and then how does it all fit together? So I think we'll see a little bit more carryover schematically than, than maybe we. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. We, 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 then maybe youth do. I think the big difference is going to be from an alignment standpoint and an aggressiveness right. standpoint. Sure. sure um, I but that. I think the transition will be more in 2022 and beyond. And, and, you know, but I do think there will be some. I mean, you're going to see his DNA on it, just like 2018 looked different than 2017 because Mike Elko was more like Marcus Freeman. Sure. Whereas Clark Lee was more. You know, this is kind of the lane we're going to stay in, and we're going to be great at it. And Marcus Freeman has some of that, but he also likes to he also likes to do a little bit of a little bit of aggressiveness and attacking and moving guys around and, and making the defense the offense think. And that's okay. what I really like about him. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Let's jump over to offense, Brian. Uh, Tommy wants to know, if Coach Alexander drops the ball on this year's wide receiver class, would you say it's time to move on from him? And do you think that's a move that Coach Kelly is willing to make? You know, Tommy, I, I know, I know you've been reading me for a, reading our stuff for a while. I'm not a I'm not a fire coach guy. That's just not my place. I'm not someone who who believes it's my job to say that Kelly should or shouldn't fire people. I didn't even say he should fire Brian Van Gorder. And there's not a person on this planet that doesn't know <laughs> that I thought he should fire Brian Van Gorder just because of of what I thought about him. But that just, I just don't believe that's my place as an analyst. That's fair. Um, I don't. uh, And also I think part of that is, I think that part of that's just the coach in me, you know, I've, I've had to go home and tell my wife, Hey, we're going to have to move. And it's not because I want to, that's not a fun conversation. And, and, you know, this is real life for these coaches, you know, and and everything I've heard about Dell Alexander is he's a great guy. He's a great, you know, he, you know, he's a lot like Scott Booker in that regards, where it was hard for me to criticize Scott Booker because I really liked him as a person, you know, and that's how I feel about Coach Alexander. I will say this, however, the job he's done at recruiting cannot continue. Now, the thing about D- Coach Alexander is he came to Notre Dame with the reputation of being a strong recruiter. And he was he was supposed to give them a really good West Coast boost, and he hasn't done that. This yeah. is a great opportunity for him to do that. You've got C.J. Williams. You've got uh, Ted Rowe, McMillan and, from Survey. You've got Tobias Merriweather. He's not to, to get it done. Yeah, not to cut you off, but we talked about this a little bit in our uh, our needs podcast. There's some Notre Dame guys out there right. at the wide receiver position. What yeah. I mean by that is their resume, they go to Catholic school. They've mm-hmm. got over a 4.0 GPA. Like, right. This is what Notre Dame – those are yeah, Notre right. Dame guys to steal right. a, a ridiculous Michigan term. Um, but like th- th- those are set up on a up. silver plate. I know. Can't believe you brought up Michigan. I know. Know. I know I should have never done that, especially on a live. Um, but those are, those guys are on a silver platter for you. You go get those guys. And, and if you go get yeah. those guys, all of a sudden 
He hasn't grinded. Is that's just a fact. He hasn't grinded. Yeah. I mean, is I can't tell you how many times. I don't know what it is, and I don't. I'm not going to pretend that I know. Okay. I, I'm. I'm not. It, I, I just know is what the job he's doing isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. But I think he's capable of better. I mean, you know, I, I was very excited when they hired Dell Alexander. I thought the job he did at at uh, you know Arizona State, Wisconsin. I thought this was a guy that was going to do a really good job. He's been a little disappointing to me, and and I don't know what it is, but. He's got to step up because yeah. this is a big year. I mean, it's a big, it's a really good receiver class nationally. And it's, as you said, and as we talked about before, it's a really good receiver class at in areas where Notre Dame should have some success. I mean, there's kids in Chicago. Absolutely. There's kids in Ohio that you're like, boy, this is a, this is a, this is the kind of kid that Notre Dame normally gets. Yeah. Exactly. And then you're hearing that Tommy Reese is putting in the work, but you're not hearing that Dell Alexander's putting in the work. And that's not with enough. I mean, there's a kid here and there, but look, Great recruiters don't just focus in on like that one or two guys unless you're at a position where you only play one guy. You know, I mean, Tommy Reese can focus on one guy quarterback because it's a different animal. You can't do that, you know, when you're when you're coaching receivers because you need right. three, four guys. You need a bigger board. And so when you got to recruit all those guys like, you know, you, like they're your guy because that's the only way you're going to get it done. Absolutely. So I got a combo question here. For, I'm going to put these two together. Okay. Uh, the first one is from Braden, and he says, I feel like everyone forgets about Drew Pine. Am I missing something? Has he been struggling in practice? Mm-hmm. So that's the first – that's part mm-hmm. one. And then part two, and I, I'm not even – you want to attempt that name? I Nope. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. How much do we know about Brendan Clark's knee? Is he absolutely out this spring and or fall for Buckner to get a jump to compete for the number two spot over Pine? So kind of a – Mm-hmm. A, a quarterback frenzy type questions yeah. here. What are we hearing about Drew Pine, Brendan Clark, et cetera? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we actually have scheduled. We were gonna do it today at noon, yes. but um, somebody, <clears throat> somebody, I don't want to say point names or point fingers. Somebody uh, had some mistakes where he had to go go take sure care of some things. So we couldn't get it done, but we're gonna have a, a more extensive mm-hmm. podcast talking about the, the, those two quarterbacks because I do think that that. You know what? What Braden said, Braden Steele said, is yeah. I think Drew Pine is being overlooked. I, I actually, in my if you, I don't, Braden, I don't know if you if you um, check out our website, IrishBreakdown.com, you can see the web address down there. Uh, I, in my midweek musings on Wednesday, that was my lead topic was Drew Pine. Uh, what I have heard about Drew Pine is that is the exact opposite. Is he does really well in practice, and, yep. and what I was told by you know some some sources that have been in the program a while. He he picked up the offense like I mean like that I mean he he his level of 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 feel and knowledge of the offense as a true freshman was outstanding. So I I think that there's a lot to like there. He just he's just small right now. I mean that's the thing. He's just a small guy. He's just you question is he big enough? He's not a great athlete. I mean he doesn't have those physical tools that are going to make you say wow. But what I like about Drew Pine is to me. You know, he is what you should want in what Brian Kelly wants. Brian Kelly, it's frustrating because he says things and then how he conducts personnel is completely opposite of what you should do in that situation. And so, like, he says, well, we don't have we don't have you know great playmakers on offense. Well, then why are you running an offense that requires your plate, your receivers to be playmakers? Just to be better than the guy across. You know, it's like if, yeah. if, if you don't have elite playmakers, then you should be running more RPOs. You should be more running more meshes and more different things that to, that, to scheme those guys open because you don't have great one on one players. Right. And, and then so say, well, you don't have great receivers. So then you run an offense that demands you have great receivers. And then you say, well, we want a quarterback that's going to do this. And then he says that Ian Book is this when Ian Book really wasn't that. 
Drew Pine is that. And from what I hear, it's like he's kind of already kind of being brushed aside with Tyler Buckner and, and Jack Cohn. I hope that Drew Pine gets a legitimate shot this spring because I think, I think Drew good. Pine is going to surprise some people. And, yeah. and look, I get why a lot of – there's a lot of fans that just kind of already written him off, and I understand it because Tyler Buckner – He's Tyler Buckner's film looks a whole lot different than Drew Pine's film. I yeah, mean, no, Buckner's you know, a dude, right? He is. I mean, right. It just is what it is. But but there's there's something about Drew Pine that makes me say if he's given a legitimate chance, it's going to be a lot harder than Tyler Buckner might think to beat him out. And uh, and I think if Jack Cohn wasn't here, I wouldn't be shocked if Drew Pine would have had a chance to be that number one guy. Brendan Clark, I don't I don't like to. Uh, guess about injuries um all i we haven't been, seen him it's hard yeah it's been a couple of weeks since anyone's told me anything about his knee um i don't think it is a major thing where he's going to be out like into the fall i don't know about his spring uh, availability and i haven't been able to get anybody to answer that question and i just i'm not going to speculate about an injury that you know that without more concrete information hopefully he's healthy because this is a big spring for him uh he needs to develop he needs to grow uh, he needs to take that next step because f- he is the exact opposite of Drew Pine in that, you know, I've heard for two years now that there's nobody on the roster that throws a better ball than Brendan Clark. Right. I mean, it is powerful and it is pretty. And we've joked about this before. There's times in practice when we got to see him, we're like, man, that ball was beautiful. Like it was eight feet away from the intended target, but it was looked good getting there. Right. Uh, it's just, you know, being able to, to be poised in live situations, being able to make process information. He's still a really raw quarterback that was sort of a two-sport guy in, in, in high school. He needs this spring to develop. And if he yep. doesn't get this spring of of rep work and teamwork and drill work, he's going to fall so bar, far behind that he doesn't have enough talent to overcome that. You know, He doesn't have the Phil Dracovic talent or – you know, the, the Tyler Buckner talent where he can, he can be the fourth guy – and then work his way right. up. Not with not in this quarterback room. There there is too much talent, in my opinion, in this quarterback room for him to miss the spring or parts of the spring and uh and, and climb up the chart. So a little bit of speculation here from Mike S. Is there another Jeremiah Usukoromoa on the roster for next year? I wish. I hope. Uh, not at Rover, but I mean I think that Kyle Hamilton can absolutely have the kind of impact on the defense that Jeremiah Wusu had. And you know, and that's the thing I think that you, you don't want to get yourself wrapped into is, you know, like we have a question on uh, – actually, we'll ask it now. One of the questions that we got beforehand uh, was about Tommy Tremble and who's going to be – you know, who's going to take over Tommy Tremble's job. And as the lead – and they basically identified exactly what Tommy Tremble did, and, and that's not what good coaches do. They don't say, well, who's our next Jeremiah Wusu Cormo? It's okay. Well, who's our next best player? Let's fit around what we do. Just like they didn't ask Jeremiah Wusu Cormo to play, like Drew, they asked Drew Tranquil to play, and so uh, there's not going to be someone at Rover that's going to do what Jeremiah Wusu did. There's not. Prince Kali is a different player than Jeremiah Wusu Cormo. Right. I think right. there's things that if his game develops, he's going to do better than Jeremiah Wusu Cormo, and some things that he's not going to do as well. But they're not going to ask anybody to to be the next Jeremiah Wusu Cormo. Uh, as far as the impact on the defense, however, to to answer the question, I do think they have a guy that can be that, and that is Kyle Hamilton. And, and again. He's going to be asked to do different things because he's a safety, not a rover. But as far as the thing about Jeremiah Wusu, what made him so impactful is it wasn't just what he did 
that made a difference. You know, him making plays. It was how the defense, how the offense had to react to him. Exactly. You know? So, you know, he was to the field. So you saw teams get very left-handed, for example. You know, kind of to an expression, or they'd be very boundary-oriented with what they did. Yep. Because they didn't want to, they didn't want to go at him. So I think you're going to see that next year with Kyle Hamilton, where they're going to say, "Hey, where's number 14? Okay, there he is. Let's not go there." And, right. and, yeah, and that's going to allow Marcus Freeman to say, "Fine, we know you're trying to avoid him on third down. So here's what we're going to do: we're going to use him to set you up, and we're going to force you to get the ball here. And we know it's going to go there, and we're going to have a call that's going to mess you up afterwards." And and we saw Clark Lee do a decent job of that this past year, and and I think that you'll see Marcus Freeman do that as well, where he'll he'll find out, okay, who are they avoiding. And then how can we use that to our advantage to to with our calls? And so in that regards, I think Kyle Hamilton is the next Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. Uh, different position, different skill set and all that. But as far as impact on the defense yeah. and being able to dictate terms to the offense where we know if we use him this way, we can force the offense to do this. And I think that's a great weapon to have. And, and for example, Notre Dame didn't really have that in 2018. They right. didn't have that second or third level guy. They had some guys up front that they could be that with, but as as you know, Julian Love was always going to be in one spot. You know, you just you knew where he was going to line up, and the safeties that they had, as good as they were, weren't game wreckers like that. And and we've heard that expression be used. I think Brian Kelly likes to use it. Uh, maybe it was more Mike Elko that brought it. I can't remember, but it, that game wreckers. Jeremiah yeah. Wusu is a game wrecker. Kyle yep. Hamilton is a game wrecker. The thing I like about the 2021 defense potentially is that they have a first and a, a potential first and third level game record. If Isaiah Foskey is as good as I think he can be, he yeah. could be a game record. If you have a, a great pass rusher, because that's what Notre Dame hasn't really had. In 2018, they did with Aquara and Tillery, that combination. But since then, they haven't had a great pass rusher. If you can add an elite pass rusher or even a really good pass rusher with a guy like Kyle Hamilton, you're going to see his ability to make big play step up because when you've got a guy breathing down your neck you're not thinking about well i can't throw there because number 14's there you're just thinking i gotta throw the ball and that's where a guy can have a lot more opportunities well you brought up pass rush so i'm gonna go to one of the questions that we received earlier mm -hmm. um and i'm sure i'm gonna mess up the name sham gel is that sham right gel sham yeah, gel sham gel so a uh, bigger concern on defense in 2021 pass rush or corner you, how about you, Vince? What's your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts on that are well, my first initial thought on that when I read it uh, earlier today was that those two are so intermixed. You know what I mean? Like, if you don't have a very good pass rush, then you're putting a lot of pressure on the corners, and then vice versa. If you don't have good corners, you're putting a lot of pressure on the pass rush to get mm -hmm. home. Those two positions just really work so much together, um, and, and it is how they affect the defense. Now, mm -hmm. If you're asking me which group I'm worried about more, I guess I would say I'm more worried about the cornerback position mm -hmm. only because of the lack of experience. I like who they bring back at defensive end. Uh, I mean, you, you, you already kind of touched on it, so I'm not going to just echo what you just said. Um, but, you know, Notre Dame started a true freshman uh, last year at corner. Uh, we don't know uh, what we're going to get from some of the other guys that are, quote-unquote, have the experience. Um, and then you've got a, a whole host of guys that really have no experience whatsoever. Cam Hart comes to mind. Mm -hmm. I picked him as a breakout player. I think he's going to be special this year. But he's got to um, prove it. But he's got to right. prove it. And these guys haven't proven it yet. And and Clarence uh, has has proven that he's he can 
do uh, you know, yeoman's work at corner, but can he take that next level? Can he right. take that next step? Um, and is he so, a guy you want going against Clemson and Alabama? That's exactly that, that's, right. You know, and so you know, what are you going to get from the cornerback position? I'm not sure yet, but I think we know more about the pass rush right now as mm-hmm. opposed to what the corner position looks like. Well, I really like the pass rush. My answer is corner as well. Uh, I'm actually mm-hmm. excited about the potential of both, but I'm yeah, more certain. Too. I'm more certain that the yes. pass rush is going to be better. And here's a couple yes. reasons why. Number one, Isaiah Foskey. We we yeah. talked about that. Number two. Um, the the move to to put from what I'm hearing, and we talked about this in a, a previous uh, episode uh, of the Irish Breakdown podcast. We kind of had an insider, and then I had an article about this. But I, I'm hearing that Myron Tungvaloa is going to get a legitimate shot to play strong side end because of the fact they're excited about what Jason Adamiola and Riley Mills bring to the table. And I think those two guys have potential to be very dynamic pass rushers. Jason Adamiola was their best pass rusher up the middle this year by far. It wasn't even close. Uh, when he was healthy. And I think you could see that tandem inside at three technique, give Notre Dame a pass rush. That's going to be comparable to what they got at the three technique in 2018 from Jerry Tillery. I think the other thing about those two is they both can play five technique when they go to three down. So uh, you could even see a scenario where you've got Riley Mills coming off playing like a three, three down, like a defensive end position. And I could see those two guys really having a breakout. So you put them, with Isaiah Foskey, I think you have a chance. Plus, it's a really athletic group of linebackers. And Marcus Freeman, like as we as when we did that, you know, the LB Fit linebacker fit podcast. Uh, there's a video on our YouTube channel about that, where how the linebackers fit into the Notre Dame defense. We talked about, we showed the graph that showed the pressure rate from the linebackers was significantly higher under Marcus Freeman of Cincinnati. Right. Yep. And I, I guarantee you, he's got a lot more athletic linebackers now than he did at Cincinnati, based on yep. what I saw on mm-hmm. film. And you know, he, he's going to use them, right? And then you've got that 6'4", 215-pound freaky athlete at safety that has proven to be a pretty good blitzer as well. So, um, you know, I, I think you're going to have a good pass rush next year, whether it's individual front four or or your pressure packages or, to me, a combination of both. I think the corner position, it's so many what if There's just too many. I don't like going into a season with what ifs, and and unless it's kind of like it's a what if, like a this guy has projected, and now we just we think he's going to take that third level. Yeah, like Isaiah Foskey. I mean, he's kind of a what if. He had four and a half sacks last year. It's not like he was a fifteen sack guy last year, but he showed the skill, and he's he's you know, and it was just, he's kind of had a good trajectory. At corner, we haven't seen Cam Hart show anything that makes us think he could be what we think he could be, other than just his talent right we don't know if Tariq Bracey is going to bounce back mentally we don't know if Clarence Lewis has another level in him uh, and we don't know what the freshmen are going to do How, having said that there's a lot of talent there it's oh, just yeah. about getting them going where I'm where my my optimism is the most is highest really for me is just is my confidence in Mike Mickens I have a supreme confidence that Mike Mickens is going to be able to figure something out and so does Marcus Freeman by the way Right. So, so I, that's why, you know, people ask, do you think the defense is going to take a step back next year because of all the losses? And I'm like, no. I mean, is it any different than the year before when they lost Aquara, Kareem, Jameer Jones, Alohi Gilman, Troy Pride, Jalen Elliott, uh, Osmar Bilal? They lost a lot from the previous year's defense and they were still pretty flipping good on defense this year. Uh, and that was with no help from the offense this right. season. So I think they're going to be good on defense next year. I think they're actually going to be a little bit better as a unit. They may not have the individual star at linebacker like they had this past year, but I think as a unit, this defense could end up being even better next year, which is saying a lot because this past year's defense was – or this past season's defense was pretty good. 
this this is kind of a fun one, and I'm I'm gonna lead off on this one, uh, Brian. Let me see if I can find it. Here it is. All right, this is from Ryan. Any chance of getting a punt returner in there who can, wait for it, return punts? It was perfect timing, by the way, for you to drink that. Uh, I'm sure Kelly won't trust a true freshman, but any thoughts on Lorenzo <laughs> Styles there or maybe even Keys? Um, that was perfect timing just for a live uh, YouTube and Facebook. But anyway, uh, I'm going to take this one. In order for there to be any kind of thought about anybody returning punts of any kind of dynamic nature, they're going to have to change their entire philosophy on what they believe in as a punt returning team. And the unfortunate part is the, the trend in college football right now is to just play it safe, get mm-hmm. the ball over to your offense. And it's unfortunate. I'm not a fan of that personally. I think special teams can be a huge part in, in what you want to do offensively. Uh, I, would, I would find one of my more dynamic, sure-handed, but dynamic guys back there um and and give him the instruction like look if you got a fair catch fair catch that's fine don't don't be one of those guys you know like this is the xfl and you're not gonna there's no fair catches allowed like i don't i don't want that but Mm -hmm. i personally love the return game uh whether it's kick returning or punt returning i think they've turned the corner a little bit in the kick return game but if you notice in the in the semifinal game as soon as chris tyree bobbled that other one there was no way they were letting him even return one so I, you know, I don't see their philosophy changing anytime soon. Personally, um, it, it would take a philosophy shift in order for that to happen. And I personally don't see it happening. I don't either. Um, but I'm, I'm also not as worried about it as maybe some other people are. I actually, for me, my philosophy wouldn't be more about let's let's set up punt returns because the way that teams punt now, it, it's meant to to not let, I mean, the reason they do the, the, with the three guys in the back and the, the personal protectors the way that they do now is because they want to allow their gunners to get downfield faster. Right. And so those, those three big guys and Notre Dame does this. It's, it's meant because you, if you beat your first guy, there's no free run to the, to the punter like it used to be. And so teams don't have to protect with their whole front as much as they used to. And then they would just have the two outside guys. And if you beat the two outside gunners, you were gone. You know, it's not that way anymore. And so teams have gotten smarter in how they punt, which has impacted to me how you can return. I mean, when you look at like the top punt returning teams in the nation this past season, a lot of them are group of five schools. Alabama had a top 10 punt return team, but had Devontae Smith, you you know, and and to me, punt returning, the the argument on punt returning is a little different than the one on receiver because we've talked about Devontae Smith is a brilliant receiver, but they also did great things schematically to get him open. There's not as much you can do as a punt returner. I think for me, my philosophy is I want to see them be more aggressive going to block punts because to me, that's how you get better returns. And it, okay. and it happens twofold. Number one is they gotta- you get punters that panic. So if a look, we saw the punter in the Super Bowl, right? Like that guy had been great all year and then gets Super Bowl and he can't punt anymore, right? Because right. that's a pressure situation. <laughs> and and those aren't guys that are used to that kind of pressure situation. So number one, you see this guy on film and he's seen you block two or three kicks. He's thinking, I got to get this thing off. It's no different right. than a quarterback that watches a team have like 12 sacks the week before. <laughs> you know what I mean? His internal sure. clock gets sped up. The more a punter has to rush, the more there's a chance he hits a line drive. Line drives are really what set up big punts. You either, you know, line drives or he overkicks it. And that can right. happen too. You know, he I'll kicks it too coverage. far and he outkicks yeah. the coverage. Yep. The other part of it too is, is if you're really athletic in your punt block and you're really aggressive in your punt block, 
then what's going to happen is now teams are naturally going to say, well, we need to make sure we're, we're more focused on protection and we can't let guys run without making sure we get that first line protected a little bit better. And so to me, if I had a situation where I had the athletes that Notre Dame has a linebacker and wide receiver and corner at safety where, where you've got, I mean, the one thing Notre Dame has a lot of in the secondary, we don't know if they have a lot of proven players, but there's a lot of length. I don't yep. know if Roman Ramon Henderson can can cover or play corner, but I do know he's about six two and friggin' fast. Yep, absolutely. Put him on the edge of your punt block team and say go, you know, and just Osita Ekwanu. I mean, all those guys. You got really long, athletic guys. Cam Hart. Let him go after it because that's gonna to me where you're gonna set up more opportunities in the return game is being more aggressive with your actual punt pressure package. And, you know, and then you then you get a guy back there like a Lorenzo Styles or a Lawrence Keys. And and here's the frustrating thing for me is you, we saw Chris Fink drop punts and fumble the ball and he never got benched. But when Lawrence Keys does it, he's gone. Oh, he gone. There's like this thing where Brian Kelly has this weird thing where he has a shorter leash for younger unproven players than he does veterans. Yeah. And it's like if anything, it should be the opposite. We're like, you're a veteran. You should know better. Right. But it's like it's like you can't let you know you got to allow Lawrence Keys to be willing to make a mistake. Chris Tyree bobbles a punt. Okay, that sucks. But you know what? Why would you want to do that? Because he's the kind of kid that he just needs that one return. You know, maybe he gets caught at the fifteen the next time and the nineteen the next time. But then the next time he's housing it. Yeah, you know, exactly. and, and and that's the thing is is but that's Brian Kelly's whole mentality though. It's we he is so afraid of his team making a mistake that he almost kind of paralyzes them. Yeah. And you can't do that. You they can't don't play be loose. so and, and I'll say yeah. this. Late in the year, I think it was after the Georgia Tech game, before the Georgia Tech game, getting ready to go play Clemson. Brian Kelly went into the team. I was told this by by a couple sources and he said, "Hey, look. We got to stop being afraid. We got to stop being afraid to make mistakes. We got to just go play." And that next couple of weeks, we saw Notre Dame flat out ball. They went and beat Clemson smack Boston College, smack North Carolina, and that was as good as we've seen Notre Dame play in a while, right? And then we kind of went away from that and went back to conservative ball and, you know, all those kind of things, and, and we saw the, the same disappointing product we saw early in the season. And Brian Kelly could take that philosophy and just have it all the time. Hey, if your quarterback throws a mistake trying to be aggressive, okay, you live with it. Now, if he's doing it two, three times a game, okay, yeah, you got to make different. a change, but you can't have guys so afraid to make a mistake, and then when they make a mistake, they're like, Who's coming in for me, you know? And from what I have been told, that that's something that Marcus Freeman has in, has said right away. Like, you know, I don't want you to make mistakes, but I also don't want you looking over your shoulder when you make one, you know? And um, I, I think that's the way to go. There's got to be an accountability for mistakes, but it's not one mistake. It gets a sophomore bench, but when a senior makes the same mistake, it doesn't have the same impact. I think that's where it comes from. So you mentioned Marcus Freeman and uh, another two-parter here for you, both mentioning Marcus Freeman. So I figure we'll tackle those at the same time. Mm -hmm. And they're from the same guy. So uh, Tim wants to know, number one, do you see Freeman landing any five-star linebackers this cycle? And we kind of talked about that in our last podcast, uh, but you can summarize that. And then he also asks, do you think Freeman is a one-and-done with Notre Dame uh, this season? I'll take that second one first. I don't. I don't think so unless he gets a really good head coaching job, like a you know, top tier head coaching right. job. Yeah. Um, I don't see him leaving Notre Dame. Like if Luke Fickle gets a head coaching job at Michigan State next year, I don't see him leaving to take the Cincinnati job. That's just me. And, and I've been told he's he's been he's given some guarantees. He'll be here at least two years. But again, 
you know, if the Michigan head coaching job comes open and the Wolverines want you, okay, sorry. I know I said two years, but you say you, no, you know, your pants are ugly. Uh, right. Uh, you know, so, but I, I think he'll be here two years. I think that, I mean, if he's smart, he realizes, okay, the head coach has a three year, three years left on his contract. Um, it's a pretty good gig, you know, if I go prove myself here. And, uh, you know, so I, I don't think he'll be one and done, barring just a huge job coming open. He's not leaving for Vanderbilt. You, you know what I mean? And that, that would be the thing. Uh, regarding five-star linebacker, I don't know if he'll land a five-star because it's just so fickle. I mean, is he a five-star and this, that, and the other? I think what he's going to do is he's going to land some top-level linebackers. Now, if it means he's a five-star or just a top-50 guy, I, I don't really care. Uh, I just want the the high-level talent. And I think he's going to get at least one. Uh, I think I won't I be surprised too. if he gets two. Uh, you yeah. know, I think Notre Dame is in a great position with Junior Tui Alamaka from Very uh, good. Alamany. Yep. Um, you know, he's not a five star, but that guy's flipping good. He's well, a consensus top hundred recruit. And, and did Notre Dame make the final three for another pretty good uh, linebacker out that way? Yeah, Joshua Burnham. Now, I I still think he's probably right now looking at Michigan, but like okay. you know, you, you know, they offered Harold Perkins lately. I never heard Notre Dame mention with Harold Perkins, who's a five star linebacker until Marcus Freeman showed up. They offered Sean Murphy. You know, Jalen Sneed's a top linebacker. Is he five star? No, but is he really flipping good? Yeah. Uh, you know, Sebastian Cheeks is a top hundred caliber player from I Illinois. So I don't know if he'll land a five star, but I don't know if he's necessarily obsessed with five star. I mean, if he sees Junior Tui Alamaka in a in a five star, if he likes Junior better, he's going to take Junior, and and I think that's the thing. It, it's putting that right group that gives you a chance to have an elite linebacking core. And sometimes, if you have three really good players at your three positions, you're going to have an elite unit, yeah. As opposed to having one, look at linebacker this year. Linebacker this year for Notre Dame was really up and down. You have the best linebacker in the country on your football team. Yes. But your linebacker position was erratic as heck because you weren't great at, at all three spots. Right. I think what made you know the 2018 team so good at inside linebacker was that neither, neither Tranquil nor Coney were all Americans, but they were both so steady and good that you were just going to be good there. And, and so I think that's, to me, more of what I care about. But I expect this linebacking class to be – one of the top two or three in the country. And and that's what you want. You know, it, I don't obsess over five stars. I say, did you get impact players? And right now they're in position with nine or 10 impact players. They just got to get two more of them. That's yep. it. Yep. And, uh, you know, that's the, that's the thing I love. When you have a board as big as Notre Dame's corner board and linebacker board, you can bat 200 and have a great class. When you only recruit four and you bat, you know, 250, it means you only got one, right? So bigger board. Going after more players, get two of those guys and call it a day. Put them with Nolan Ziegler and say, we got one heck of a linebacker class. Shooting fish in a barrel, baby. All right. So uh, here's a fun one, and I'll take lead off on this one. AJ wants to know what's more likely in 2021, <laughs> Jordan Johnson starts or Notre Dame makes the playoff? Um, I think they are very – you know, one affects the other. Um, there's no question, but – Mm-hmm. If I had if I had to say what is more likely, uh, just based on you know the turnover of the team and, and based on everything that we don't know up to this point, on February twelfth, I would say the more likely uh, thing to happen is that Jordan Johnson is a starter. Mm-hmm. I, I just uh, I think this team has every capability of being a nine or ten win team. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they're that level of a playoff team this year, but I think this year is super duper important to being a playoff team next year so if you're asking me what's more likely in 21 it's that jordan johnson is the starter 
um, as opposed to being a playoff team. I am very curious to see your answers when we do our schedule podcast, probably next week. We're going to do a, a video podcast uh, where we're going to talk about just go through the schedule. And, and you know, the problem for me, and I, I, it's funny that you bring that up, I'm not sure where those losses are right, right. now. Right. I, I'm really not. But this right. team just says to me 10 wins, 9 wins, but I don't know where those losses are. Right. And, and I so- think the reason it's that way is, is, is I think teams – people tend to get a little overly critical of their team this time of year because they think sure. about all the people they lost. And yeah, absolutely. You don't think USC fans are freaking about uh, freaking out about losing, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vaughn's and, and Elijah Vera Tucker and Tulio, you know, Hafanga uh, and they you know all go to the draft. They all go yeah, to they're the all draft. gone. Yeah. Jay Tufele is gone. Uh, you know I mean? They're, a lot of their best players are gone. So, yeah. I mean, everyone's kind of panicking right now this time of the year, except those couple teams that have like 22 starters coming back, 21 starters coming back so but you know I, I i tend to agree with you but I, i'll say this if brian kelly makes the changes he needs to make that that's going to mean jordan johnson's starting and if jordan johnson's starting then i'm going to feel that they got a shot to be a playoff team again yeah. just because the schedule's kind of soft i mean if we're being honest it's not a tough schedule right and absolutely you know, i mean i agree you, who lost more notre dame and what they lost or north carolina who lost a pair of thousand yard running backs their two best receivers and they're, they're ranked in the top 10 it, by, by some people and i don't they're the new michigan look they're man. just gonna keep ranking them high until it happens but it will happen because mac brown's a fun i mean mac brown he's a phenomenal coach but anyway he um, is. i agree with that i would on, i would man. probably go with plus the other thing too is the greater odds the jordan johnson thing is going to happen before the playoff so you know that that's kind of and he's good. I mean, he, he yeah. deserves to be in the starting rotation. So well, he deserves to be, in be a major factor. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying. In the rotation. I also think that I wouldn't start. Well, we got another question about the receiving core. We'll get to that here in a little bit, but let's let's keep rolling along. Oh, so you gotta have me one. All right. Uh let's see here. Which one do I want to go with? Um, okay, here we go. This is more for you. One one player in the 22 class that you want committed to another school mm-hmm. or not. Number one guy. What do you want? Uh, I'm going to do I'm going to do two. I'm going to take his Jay Clampett's investments. I'm going to do a guy that's committed and a guy that's not committed. You always got to always got to change it well, up. He kind of gave two options, so I want to help right. him a little extra special dosage here. Um, right. the committed player, if Notre Dame could somehow flip Caden Saunders, I would love it. He's a wide receiver from Ohio that's committed to Penn State. Notre Dame was in a good position there for a while. Receiver coach didn't do a great job recruiting it. He flip, he committed to Penn State. They're in a little bit of a turmoil right now. You know, they fired their offensive coordinator after one year. There's been a lot of turnover. Like to me, this would be a great time to get in the mix with him and try to get him in the class. I love that kid. He is a really dynamic player. And if they did go after him, it would tell me that they are they are serious about you know finding more playmakers, which means adapting your offense to fit those guys. Because you can't have a bunch of five eleven, six foot playmakers running the offense that the Notre Dame ran last year. You have to adapt it. So. Caden Saunders would be that guy. Uh, as far as guys who are uncommitted, I, I, I've been so focused this last couple of weeks on the D-line class that it's Cyrus Moss. I just knew you were going there. Head, you know what I mean? We've talked about him so much. It's just kind of like when you ask, who do you want? It's like, well, that guy. You know, yeah. We've invested so much time talking about him and you know, almost feel like. But but so far, it's so early in the class. I, but then I'm like, oh, what about Zach Rice? And then I'm like, well, what about Tobias Merriweather or C.J. Williams? Or There's all these top players that you think about. But if I had to pick one, I'd go Cyrus Moss. But we're going to have a um, couple things we're going to do here coming up. 
just to keep an eye on at irishbreakdown.com. I'm not sure if Should you know, I write these things POI. down. Do I no, know? They're these? already written down. They're already on my notes. <laughs> um, I'm going to have sort of a must gets class, like a must gets breakdown, you know, five or six guys that are going to be sort of game changer type of recruits for sure. Notre Dame. Uh, offense and then one on defense. And then I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to work on the next couple of weeks of kind of talking to some sources, trying my best to talk to sources and then come up with sort of like a, what's the dream class for Notre Dame? Like what, what would a class look like that would be that, okay, we've gained on Bama. We've gained on Clemson type of class. So I have that coming up soon. Uh, but you can be sure that Cyrus Moss will be on all of those breakdowns that pertain That's to fair. the defense. That's fair. I, uh, I want to go over to the uh, the list of our pre-selected questions here, uh, Brian. This was kind of a fun one, and I'm interested to hear your opinion on it. Um, what's the best transition strategy for hiring a new coach after the current head coach retires? For example, when Kelly decides to leave, how can we best hold recruits? Do you believe in the coach and waiting plan where everyone knows the successor, traditional hiring process? What is your thought process on that? I definitely have an opinion on this one. I think it has to be – it's hard to say there's a strategy that works because we've seen coaches that have stepped in and done a good job, and then we've seen coaches step in and fail. I, I just think it depends on who you have and who's available. I mean, sure. if you say and, – and this is why I don't like the coach and waiting thing. You know, you say, well, we're so-and-so is our coach and waiting. What, what if in a couple of years there's some coach that you never thought would be available that wants your job? Bingo, you know, and so I don't really like that coach and waiting thing. I, you know, I think it's one of those things where, you know, you a lot of times it's you say that to keep a guy from leaving, you know, yep. and and I don't I don't necessarily love that, but you know, the tra- in the transition aspect of it is you should never sacrifice a coaching hire for recruits ever, and if you're going to lose four or five recruits to get a coach that you think is is going to take you to the next level as opposed to keeping a guy on staff who maybe can keep this particular class together, then you you sacrifice the four or five recruits and you hire the best coach. And, yep. and so that's my philosophy on transition. Now, the ideal situation is that you have a Ryan Day on your staff. Sure. And it's easy to make that transition. I mean, that's ideal. You know, I actually thought that there was a chance that Steve Sarkeesian may stay in Alabama thinking he may get the Alabama job, you know, sure. but – then I thought, nah, who would want that? Like, that's you got to. Well, we won six titles in 12 years, and there's Bama fans who still aren't happy because the six years they didn't win one. I'll pass. I'll go to Texas where they haven't won in 20 years, and <laughs> they'll be happy with one. But I think if, if I was never really on board with the, the Clark Lee being the coach and waiting, you know, that was one I always pushed back against. Um, I'm, I'm not ready to jump on the Marcus Freeman bandwagon for the coach and waiting thing just because he hasn't coached a single game yet. Yeah, right. But sure. I will say this. Marcus Freeman has some traits that that make me more comfortable with that conversation than Clark Lee did. And the biggest one being he can recruit and he wants to recruit and likes to recruit. At least his actions speak. As of now, yeah, right, yeah. Um, you know, and, and that was just something that was never a strength of Clark Lee's. And we've seen it. I've had enough of a head coach who doesn't like to recruit. I'm done with that. If like that's got to be priority number one for the next head coach. Like, do you do you. you get after it? And if it's if answer if his answer isn't like yes, I'm gonna be on. The, I'm gonna blah blah blah. Okay, it's been nice knowing you. Have a good one. Uh, you got to be able to recruit. And and Clark Lee just wasn't that kind of recruiter. Marcus Freeman is, and I think you make him head coach, and all of a sudden it's like, boy, that you know that young, energetic, personable gets after it. He could be a difference maker. But I want to see him coach first. <laughs> You know what I mean? I want to see how he does as a coach, how he relates to the Notre Dame players. Can he get them to play at a high level? Because that's the right. one thing Clark Lee did. I mean, 
he was going to get the most out of his defense more often than not. And, you know, if Marcus Freeman can prove that on the field and then, you know, in the meeting rooms and, and connecting with the players like that, then it'll take care of itself. Um, but let's just say I, I did not have a, a coordinator on my, on my watch list. I actually have a watch list of coaches that I'm kind of keeping an eye on to see what they do. Should Brian Kelly leave or retire? I had zero coordinators on that until Marcus Freeman got hired as the defense coordinator of Notre Dame. He's now on that list. My thought process on the whole coach and waiting thing, um, if you were talking from a Notre Dame perspective specifically, I hate it. I, I don't like it for the exact reason that you mentioned. You don't know who is going to be you know, up and coming, that guy, whatever, from a two-year basis. I mean, you, right. you just don't know. And when you go to a coach and waiting situation – it's more of a – it's going to be a long-term. Like, he's going to be an assistant for two, three, four years, maybe longer, and then you're going to hand him the keys. I don't I don't like that, and not at Notre Dame. Now, if I'm the athletic director at, like, UTEP or, a, a, you know, a group of five or something along those lines, that's something I would consider. Sure. You know, when you get – if you get an assistant who really matches your philosophy from, you know, uh, an on and off the field, you know, situation, they're comfortable in the community, you know, all of those things, then, yeah, I'm going to have – I'm going to do that because that's a known commodity. And when you're one of those schools, you're generally going to hire a head coach that you don't know a whole lot about. You're taking a flyer. You're taking a chance on a coach at that mm -hmm. level. So if I'm a lower-level AD right. – I consider the coach and waiting situation absolutely, but if I'm at Notre Dame, there is no chance I'm going coach and waiting. There's right. just not. It worked I mean, at like TCU, you know. I mean, right. this and they were a group of five team back then. You know, Gary Patterson right. was the D coordinator for a few seasons and did a great job. And then you know the opportunity came, but he wasn't a coach and waiting. But I'm talking about the succession plan. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, so I, to me, it would be more of a. Hey, look, you're going to get first crack at this. You're going to be the first interview you have, and you're going to get a legitimate shot. But we're not going to name you the coach in waiting. And exactly. unless, again, unless it's a situation where it's a no-brainer. Right. And with Ryan Day, it was a no-brainer. I mean, why would you even open up the opportunity of losing him while you're interviewing other people? Yes. Like, this is who Urban Meyer thinks should get the job. Urban Meyer, to me, had a level of credibility on on picking his successor that I don't think Brian Kelly should have unless absolutely goes out and wins a title. Um, and, and I don't know if Marcus Freeman would be Brian Kelly's pick, and that's my other concern. <laughs> so, but let's not go that's there for another me. conversation for another time, yeah. sir. Um, let me see here. We got a couple of live questions I want to hit. Um, how about Griff is bringing the heat from a comedy standpoint, and so I'm just going to show those questions because, mm -hmm. frankly, I enjoy them. Um, here we go. Predict which current nine-year-old starts for Notre Dame at quarterback versus Florida in 2031. I thought that was funny. I wanted to highlight Griff. Griff, thank you for bringing that question to us. I, I don't, you know, my daughter uh, is eight, almost nine, so I'm gonna I'm gonna volunteer for a field trip in her class and see if I can't find the next Notre Dame quarterback uh, because they'd be starting in the swamp. I mean, that'd yeah. be pretty exciting. But, I mean, middle uh, schoolers are getting offers now, so why should we just, not? You know, unbelievable. Yeah, but that's, that's so. I, and that's the one thing I don't like about these, these scheduling things. It's like you have no idea what kind of schedule you're putting on your head coach in ten years. Right. None. Right. Like you could have six top ten teams. You just have no clue. You know, yeah. like oh, we'll schedule them with the same year. We're going to play so and so because so and so is not very good. You don't know how good they're going to be. Right. When you they know, said like, Cincinnati, they weren't that good. Yeah. <laughs> ten years ago, if Notre Dame had Clemson on the schedule, we wouldn't have been thinking like, uh oh. 
You're I right. wonder if we're going to be able to beat that juggernaut who hasn't lost a regular season game in three years. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you have no idea. Yeah, I know. So, I, you I know, know, I don't I don't, I don't, don't love that. But I do like the fact that they're playing Florida. I, I guess I the think it's great. thing for me isn't that they're scheduling Florida. It's that, like, half over half their games are in 2031 are already scheduled. You got the five ACC games, plus you're going to have Navy and USC, and now Florida. You have 80 or 12 games are already and, scheduled. And Stanford. 10 years out. Likely. Well, I don't know about that one. You don't think you they're going to stick? Because okay. their contract runs up in a couple years. And, okay. and I don't know if they're going to want to do that. So I, w- I would like to see them not schedule Stanford and just open that up because I don't love that series, to be honest with you, especially now that Stanford's not good. And that don't has shown better anytime no, soon. No, because they don't care about being better as an institution. Right. I mean, right. you know. So, I mean, they don't they don't let spring ball. I mean, they're not going to have spring ball this year. They've already canceled their pro day. They don't let her right. enrollees. They just don't care, you know. All and, the above. So, anyway, I would like to see that that schedule get. And if you want to play high academic schools, then use that as a rotating one. Play Northwestern for a couple of years and play sure. UCLA. You know, do play Vanderbilt. Play Vanderbilt. Right. You know, do things like that. And then play Stanford four times out of, in 10 years. Uh, yep. Do it that way. Agreed. Um, let's get a recruiting question. Uh, another one in here. This is a long one from Tommy. Is there a current dead period in recruiting? If so, when is it supposed to end? And finally, if extended, do you think there will be a flurry of commitments? Should it be extended and double? Finally, who could jump on board if it's extended? Yeah, so the NCA just, that. yeah, the NCA just extended the dead period again beyond April, which was a bit of a surprise. There were some rumblings coming out that they would make it a semi open thing. And it is an absolute friggin' joke that they did that. You know, right now, if you coach at a D3 or D2 school, you can have kids on campus. But Notre Dame can't. Uh, And um, it's just another one of those situations where, you know, kids are kids are in a tough spot. I'm not going to get into it because it's that turns into a political conversation. But this the 2022 class is in a more tough spot than 2021, because a lot of 2021 kids had taken had taken some visits, some unofficial visits. They couldn't take officials, but. You know, when you look at, you know, Tyler Buckner had already taken a, uh, you know, had taken a visit before. Deion Colsey and Lorenzo Styles committed to Notre Dame on a visit the year before. Blake Fisher had, a lot of the kids, because they had committed so early, had already been on campus. 2022 is a completely different story. Yep. Uh, because these kids had saw the dead period start when they were sophomores. And so you're really putting these kids in a tough spot. And, and then to making it to where, you know, maybe you have officials in the fall. But now, you know, a lot of these kids, the spring is when they get that opportunity. So I, I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know if that's going to mean a lot of kids are going to commit. Because what we saw last year when a lot of kids were committing, they were committing to schools they, they had, in fact, visited. And they were committing because, well, I had visited this school, and it's one of the few I'd seen, and I'm going to go there. Now, there was a lot of kids who didn't visit. Notre Dame got several kids who never – Logan Diggs, Diggs never visited before he committed. But I honestly don't know how it's going to go. And, and the other part of it is – it's really the evaluation period is different now because there are so many kids on the board for Notre Dame. They just got to commit from Aiden Gobert. We haven't seen junior film him yet because he didn't play as a junior. You're right. You know, it's a bias Merriweather, a kid who I did a, a, a sort of a, a mini film breakdown on, on irishbreakdown.com today. I haven't seen junior film of him because his state didn't play film. He didn't play football this year. So, um, uh, you know, I just, I, I think it's a situation where it, it, it I don't think we're just going to see a repeat of last year. Because the circumstances are so different, um, you know, I just it, it's going to be interesting, and, and I'm, I'm disappointed that the NCAA did what they did. 
Um, you know, maybe you should have set some strict standards. Hey, if you're going to take a, a unofficial visit, you have to do this. You have to do that. Sure. You have to quarantine yourself for a you know period of time before you visit. Right. Um, you can't be around you know student athletes. You know, maybe you could do things where it has to be off campus. There's so many you things know? you could do, and right. they're not even trying. That's another. Right. And it's it's yeah. uh, and I think it's just a liability thing. They just want to yeah. avoid the liability, and right. um, it's a it's frustrating. It's disappointing, and in the, in the there's a lot of kids getting the shaft because of it, and and they're speaking out. And I'm all for student voices being heard. I think some of the times I don't agree with the things that they say, but in this case I do. But I always think that they should have a voice. And you know, it's like who's speaking up for the prospects? I think Josh Helmholtz at Rivals had a tweet about this yesterday. He's like, look. This committee's got ADs and some other people, but who's speaking up for the kids? Right. Who's the voice for the kids? And that's the unfortunate part of it is because deep down, the NCAA doesn't care. They don't care about kids. They care about making money, and they care about image, um, and that's ultimately what what they care about. Well, we got a fun one here from Jeff, and this was one directly at me, directed at me. So I'm gonna I'm picking it since I get to pick the questions. Uh, Jeff wants to know. We all know Brian's favorite football team is the Broncos. Vince, who is your favorite baseball team? Well, it depends on what level we're talking about. If we're talking about MLB, it's right there, the Cubbies, and it's 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 a uh, it was great for a little while, but currently it's not great. That winning thing, they just didn't like. like this, we're we're winning too much. We got to make some dumb moves so we can be the lovable yes. losers again. We got to make sure that we we don't want we don't want John Lester in a Cubs uniform to get his you know two hundredth win or three hundredth win or whatever it was. You know who needs Kyle Schwarber? He only won yeah. you the World Series on one leg. Who cares? You don't need those guys. Um, but anyway, uh, that is my favorite uh, Major League Baseball team. And of course, the Riley Wildcats. Uh, that's my team. So I'm the head coach. coach. You better be. You better so be. Better be your my, favorite team. Yeah, they're my favorite high school team. So, uh, and we have practice today, which I'm really pumped about. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, uh, real quick, how about this one, Brian? Connor wants to know how do you see name, image, and likeness playing out at Notre Dame and its rivals? Yeah. So, I'm I'm digesting this a little bit. Brian Brian Polian made a comment during signing day about how it seemed to me that he was saying like guys who are really interested in that aren't going to be fits at Notre Dame. Did you read it that way as well, Vince? Yeah, I did. And I think that is stupid. I think that's a like, really you, – you've got to take advantage. Notre Dame especially. Like, yeah. this is where you can neutralize the the bags of cash being handed out in McDonald's bags. You, you know what I mean? Like, hey, you come – hey, five-star quarterback, there's no school in the country that's going to give you more opportunities to have your name, image, and likeness hyped up. Ian Book was a Heisman tro- – got votes – as the Heisman Trophy winner, he threw 15 flipping touchdown passes. Why? <laughs> right. He's a winner at Notre Dame. Correct. Right? You take yeah. this quarterback with his stats at any other school in the country, and no one is talking about them as a Heisman Trophy candidate. And you, you know, think about the opportunities that could be in front of a kid legally to get this kid those opportunities. They're foolish if they're not going to do that. And really, to me, it'd just be about laziness. We don't want to have to deal with all the right. headache. Go hire five people that run that. And say, look, we're going to make sure that these kids aren't aren't having class time impacted by this. They're not having study time impacted by this because that's the big concern I have. This name, image, and likeness thing is these kids are going to be doing commercial and all this other kind of stuff. When are they going to class? It's already yeah, hard right. enough for these kids to go to class, right? Um, you know, and so uh, to me, it's just this is this is Notre Dame could make a killing on this if they were smart about it and they thought outside the box about it. And so to me, the coaches shouldn't be thinking of that they should hire people to do that and then use that on the recruiting trail to set that up to make sure look 
when it's football time, you're in football. When it's when it's study time, when it's class time, you're there. But you know, if you want to choose to not go hang out with your friends because you want to go do a you know a shoot down at the local car dealership or something like that for ten grand, go for it. You know, right. and and you know, again, when you're at Notre Dame, man, there's so many opportunities. I mean, Notre Dame has nose tackles that become legends. I mean, Lewis Nix, think about it, right? Like, what other school in the country has nose tackles get like the kind of love that Lewis Nix got? You know, think well, about Jerry the- Tillery. Look at Jerry Tillery because they had that. Uh, oh, what was that thing where they did like the behind yeah. the scenes all right. season? Like he was a right. star during right. that as a freshman. Right. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, Notre Dame needs to take full advantage of that because they're one of those schools that could just really make a just clean up. Not only are we going to get you this, but we're also going to get you a business degree at the number one business school in the country. You, you know what I mean? So we'll be able to teach you how to properly invest that money more than any other school, unless you go to Penn or Princeton or Harvard or something, sure. you know? And so, yeah, I, I, I heard that and I want to see if, if they clarify that or back off of that. But when I heard that, I was like, you're out of your freaking mind. <laughs> if you're at Notre Dame and you're not saying this is a great Notre Dame should look at this as a wonderful opportunity for them. Instead of like a oh this isn't going to be good oh my gosh you can now legally get kids money yeah are you it's, kidding it's me no brainer and it's so easy to do and you're telling me you can't hire somebody to be in charge of everybody's name image and likeness I mean yeah. that that would be look if I'm if I'm Notre Dame I, I might I, I might have somebody like hey you got to go through us we'll take care of you we're gonna have your best interests in mind you know we don't want you you know doing some crazy stuff you know but. There's a way to do it where I think that uh, you could say, look, look what we did for so-and-so. This mm-hmm. is something that we can do for you. It's just – it's such an opportunity that I think that they're letting go by the wayside, and that's a shame. Yeah, so, agree. Um, agree. All right, here's a good one real quick, uh, Brian. How do you approach Tariq Bracey as a coach? How can players recover mentally? It's kind of a loaded question. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just putting him in situations to succeed. Yep. I think that's going to be the biggest thing. It's like, look, when he's in the game, we're going to we're going to give him an opportunity to just go be successful. It's kind of like how I approach practice, right? When yes. you know, on Tuesdays when I'm when I'm a, when I'm getting ready for a, an opponent, I was a big believer that on Tuesday you you scheme the the play cards on the defense to give you the best look possible to have success on offense. And then over the course of the you know Wednesday, Thursday, you toughen things up and and make it a little bit more challenging, but you know, Tuesday, you want him to have success first. And that's what I think you need to do with Tariq Bracey is you need to continue to build him up, you know, praise him. You know, maybe you don't jump on him as hard as you do another guy early on. Uh, and and then you say, hey, look, here is, you know, here, here's what we need from you. We believe in you. We love you. And then you give him opportunities to be successful. I think that's the biggest thing is you have to yep. put him in positions to, to succeed. And if you do that, you know, he's going he's gonna to be able to get himself back. But, you know, if you don't, then, then obviously – you know, he's just, you're going to have to move on. And you can't guarantee that he's going to get it back. Not everybody does. Gary Gray never got it back. When Gary Gray lost his confidence, the, the, there was nothing they could do to get it back. It was just gone. Yeah. Well, and they, and they do have a full time sports psychologist on staff for the football team only. Mm-hmm. Like, that's her job. She, she is the football. And you saw her uh, talking to Jonathan Dorr at one point after he had missed a kick. Uh, on the sidelines so she travels with the team she works with the team they do all kinds of stuff I've seen her give presentations uh, to local coaches in the area myself included Uh, she knows her stuff and you know I'm not saying that that's the be-all end-all but I am saying that it is something that the Notre Dame coaching staff has thought about enough that they've brought somebody on full-time to deal with the mental side of of athletics which 
I, I think it's a great idea personally. Um, so let's see here. I got to go White Sox. I'm not putting that on the board. I'm sorry. I can't do that. Hey, uh, hey this, just isn't a, this is not a Cubs thing. I'm just I'm saying. And, and hey. I'm, I'm overruling you. If there's a White Sox thing, go ahead and throw it up. All right, I'll put it up there. Fine. There you go, Jack. <laughs> All right. But I will say, hand to God. I was in the running for Jack's my dude, though. That's why I had you put that up. Jack's Look, my I, I was in the running for the play-by-play voice of the White Sox uh, for the radio <laughs> side. So I could have changed my allegiances really fast if I would have gotten that job. So I'm just going to put that out there. There's a fun backstory, but I don't know if I'm allowed to share it. So uh, yep. anyway. Um, okay. I, we, got a, we got another good one I want to get from one of the pre-selected questions. Uh, and it's from Cham Gel. Uh, how different would the last four years have been if after 2016, Brian Kelly had decided to go back to the offense he ran at Cincy and still made the same defensive changes that he made since that time? Brian, go. Uh, for me, it would have been, depend on what you mean by going back to the offense of Cincinnati. If that meant Brian Kelly calling the plays, I don't think we would have seen a whole lot different. Uh, simply because okay. Brian Kelly isn't as locked into doing things on the, look, the, the being the head coach of Notre Dame leads you in different directions that you just you're never going to experience in Cincinnati or Central Michigan or, or Grand Valley. So I think it would have been difficult to do that. Uh, if if by going to Cincinnati offense you meant hiring people to say, hey, we're going to be tempo, we're going to be explosive, we're going to attack people, we're going to because that's what I wrote that article that said. And I think this is where Cham Joe's question is coming from is I wrote that article that said Brian Kelly needs to go back to his roots. But when I call that, I don't mean like, let's repeat, let's go hire Greg Forrest and bring back Charlie Molnar and all that kind of stuff. It's more of a, there was a philosophy that he em employed then. Yes. And then of course, at the time, the schemes that fit that philosophy, I don't care about running the same offense. Don't bring back the 20, 2009 Cincinnati playbook, but bring that philosophy back. You're pushing the tempo. You're explosive. You're going after teams because I also don't think that team was very good at running the football. And I think this Notre Dame team should be very good at running the football. So the, philo the philosophical aspects of the aggressiveness, the tempo, let's maximize plays, let's go right after teams, Absolutely. let's be aggressive. I would have loved to see that. And we saw that early in 2017, and they were averaging over 40 points a game through nine games. And then, it, as we always see, it slowly faded away, and we're now back to the, you know, the ground and pound ball control, which is different than what he did early. But it was just a early on, it was more pass-oriented, but it was always – conservative and efficient and not taking chances and don't turn the ball over and all this other kind of stuff. And that's, that's to me what he needs to get away from be aggressive, attack, go after people, push the tempo. If you don't think you have enough reps to get everybody the football, then go faster and get more snaps. <laughs> and now you have more opportunities to get guys the ball. <clears throat> Excuse me from Doy bird coach. What's your gut feeling on Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts playing this year, or the coaches continue to make excuses about putting them on the field. I think we'll see him play because there's just not those veterans. Unless we see grad transfers, you know, there's not a fifth-year senior like Javon McKinley. There's not a Ben Skoranek that you brought in up exactly. to this point now. Yep. Uh, you know, so unless that changes. But, you know, I think also those guys will probably fit the offense a little bit better. They'll know the scheme a little bit more. And I also think Brian Kelly's sick of us bringing it up. So you'll probably see that. But, I mean, we've seen him give sophomores chances. It's, it's sure. usually like that first year or two. And when we've seen sophomores get opportunities, it's like Will Fuller in 2014, where they didn't have a veteran. You know, when DeVaris Daniels, I've always said, would Will Fuller have had the breakout in 2014 that he had if DeVaris Daniels doesn't get kicked off the team? We don't know. You know, we saw Kevin Stefferson as a young guy have a breakout in 2016. Equinemy St. Brown, they were freshmen and sophomores. But the thing is, there was there was one veteran on the team. And that was Torrey Hunter, and he missed time because of a concussion. So um, 
I think this is an opportunity, especially with some guys, you know, with some injury concerns. I think we'll see them get a chance. Now, whether or not they'll be a focal point of the offense, to me, is a bigger question. I think yeah. they'll play. I just, you know, I don't think that, you know, I don't know if they're going to be a focal point at this point. That's in time. So that's my that's kind of my bigger question. All right. I got one final question from our pre uh you know, pre-live questions, however you want to put it. Uh from Tyler. As someone with experience covering and coaching both D1 and D3 athletes on a regular basis, what would you say is the biggest difference from those guys that are NAIA, D3, D2, D1, that that kind of level? What, what's the biggest difference? The first one is size. The second one is I think there's a level of explosiveness. I mean, you know, I had a receiving core in one of my years coaching football at the division one double a level where two of my three starters were sub four, five guys. I mean, one of my receivers ran a four, four, two for the Eagles at a tryout and they signed him. Uh, another guy signed with the Bengals, but it just, they were, you know, Yarden was five eleven, a buck 75, you right. know, where Chase Claypool's doing that at six, four, two twenty eight. You, right. you know what I mean? And, you know, like we had a kid when I was at Christopher Newport, we had a kid named Rod, Rod, Rob Rodriguez. He actually got a tryout with the chiefs. He could walk up behind a 6'4 offensive lineman, put his hands on his shoulders, and leap over him. But he's 5'6", 155 pounds. It was the best football player, one of the best football players I've ever seen. But he was 5'6", 155 pounds. I mean, if he was 5'11", 180, he's, a, he's an NFL football player for a decade. I mean, sure. he was a phenomenal football player. He just was 5'6", 155 pounds. And, and, you know, and that's how a D3 kid gets an invitation to – to, for, for the Chiefs is because he is an incredible football player, an incredible athlete. But that to me is just the biggest thing. Just the overall athleticism is usually different. Um, I mean, when I was at Chris for Newport, my receivers would do seven on sevens with guys at Virginia. I mean, they would, they would literally go and compete for seven on sevens because athletically they could hang with right. those. Right. They just right, weren't right. as big and they weren't as, you know, strong. And, and, and of course, then you go to D three program, you don't have the same nutrition and the same, all that other kind of stuff. But um, sure. athletically you'll see some carryover and that's why we've seen guys like Pierre Garcon I mean 2003 at a 1AA level I had two receivers that got NFL tryouts and we beat uh, Monmouth in the, in the for the national championship and their best receiver was Miles Austin who played for the Cowboys so you'll see some athletes at that level but then you look at the lines and our 6'4 305 pound guy looks a whole lot different than Robert Hainsey <laughs> you know what I mean it's just our guy's 305 because he's had a few too many cheeseburgers. Robert Haynes is 305 because <laughs> he's a big guy. You, you know what I mean? Muscles. Yeah, right. Exactly. That to me is like, you know, we've had, I've had some great football players, but, you know, they were 5'10, 210 pound linebackers who, who ran 4'8s, yep. you know, as opposed to a 6'2, 240 pound linebacker that runs a 4'6. You and know, I, those are really the differences. Yeah. And I will say from coaching at the high school level uh, and sending guys to, to all the different levels, um, there is great football at all of the levels and so Mm -hmm. if there's dads out here listening or whatever uncles or or moms or whoever and you've got a kid who's being recruited do it I mean if you love the game go play at the next level because there's excellent football at the NAI level there's excellent football at D3 D2 you know division one double a all of that uh, and you can get so much out of it it's Mm -hmm. just you know, when you get up to the Division One level, the high Division One level, it's just a different animal as far as uh, all the off the field stuff, as you mentioned, the nutrition, the extra coaches, the uh, the money, you know, the gear, it just all of that. It's just completely different. Yep. Um, and and unfortunately, for a lot of those guys who are going to get recruited at the lower levels. It's it's they don't match what it says on the 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 typical wide receiver what the size should be or the line. Understandable, the and, and it's, it's what I it get is. It. 
You have right. to do something yeah. to narrow down the field. We would make decisions like that even at the Division three level. Yes. You know, this kid's a great offensive lineman, but he's 5'11", 205 pounds. Right. You know what I mean? He's a really good high school offensive lineman, but he can't play for us. You exactly. know? Um, yeah. It is what it is. Right. I mean, so, um, I, but I wouldn't, like I said, I don't know if that question came because you've got a kid who's getting recruited or whatever. Go for it. Do and ultimately, it. if he is good enough to play at the next level, they will find him. Yes, especially this day and age. Yeah. Uh, I just want to I want to pick a couple of questions here real quick, Vince, and we're getting long, uh, but we it's are. going long because you guys ask questions and that's awesome. And we love it and we appreciate it. This went a lot better than I thought it was going to go uh, real quick from Tommy. Um, what happened with this McDonald's bag of cash thing that keeps in reference? That's a reference to Tennessee. So one of the things that the University of Tennessee is getting in trouble for is they were handing out bags. They were handing out McDonald's. But this is the accusation. They were handing out bag McDonald's bags go you know, to go bags filled with cash. To recruits it's just the stupidest thing ever because every good coach that pays players and trust me a lot of schools pay pay players they do the first thing you find out is is this a kid that we need to pay is this a kid that will even want to pay because when you're just giving kids cash like i'm not like this like and so what are they going to do they're going to go call the coach of the school that they like more than tennessee and say hey just so you know so and so just handed me a mcdonald's bag of cash um I i'll tell a story about about uh robert bland a former notre dame player uh, he had an ACC school, which I won't name, that basically started kind of hinting about, you know, hey, you know, we offer you this, this, and this, and he didn't like it. And he told his stepdad, and his stepdad was like, mm -mm, you ever call my house again, we're going to call the NCAA. Because not every kid wants to be bought. Some kids have integrity. You know, Robert Hand was a highly, Robert Bland was a highly ranked recruit, but there was a level of integrity with him and his family. It's like, you're not going to buy us. And that's why there are kids like that. Not every kid can be bought. And not every kid that goes into Alabama is bought. And that's what makes you smart. You, you don't just offer a kid money that he's that's not asking for it. That's stupid. And that's why Tennessee's on probation. Having said that, they're also going to go on probation because they wanted to fire their coach and they were willing to accept going on probation if it meant they didn't have to pay him millions of dollars. So right. let's do it was their out, that was their out clause. Like, that, hey, you broke yeah. the rules. We don't have to pay you a huge that's sum. Where, that's where that joke comes from is they were literally hand, they were accused of literally handing out bags of McDon like McDonald's bags full of cash. Can you, can you just envision the coaches meeting where they're like, you know, we need to get some money to these guys. Um, who's got some suggestions as to how we do it? Hey, I got a McDonald's bag right here. We could just put it in there. My next door neighbor works at McDonald's. He can get us a bunch of to-go bags. I mean, yeah, that's the idea. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Like, stupid. How did that go down? This yeah. is unbelievable to me. So stupid. Um, Kowalski Charles asks, do you think Brian Kelly would truly let Tommy Reese flourish and run the offense to finally optimize and use these eccentric wide receivers? Um I, I don't know. I hope so. I'm not electric wide receivers and so not eccentric, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit of both. Um, and it, he also <laughs> asked if we're not scoring 35 points again against most of the, the next year's schedule, then I believe Tommy just can't get a hold of running an offense at Kelly and therefore I believe should be depart thoughts. Um, I don't think that's true because I think that Brian Kelly doesn't doesn't want an offense that necessarily is going to score more than 35 points per game. And, and hey, look, the last the only Brian Kelly scored over 35 points in the season once in his tenure, and that was 2019. And he fired that guy. So even scoring over 35 points doesn't guarantee that Brian Kelly's not going to fire you. Uh, I don't think this is a Tommy Reese thing. If they don't score over 35 points a game next year, it's not a Tommy Reese thing. It's a Brian Kelly thing. And so I don't think Brian Kelly's going to fire himself. Right. Uh, you know, as much as some people may want that to happen, others don't. But I don't think that's going to happen. 
Um, and so, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see that changing now. Uh, do I think that he needs to make changes? Yeah. Do I think that they can get to 35, 36 points a game running their current offense with the players they have? Yeah. But it's not just about, and I want to make sure I'm clear on this. It's not just about being able to average 37, 38 points per game. It's also about doing that while being more competitive and being able to score against the better teams on your schedule. If you're scoring 40 points a game because you're scoring 70 on Toledo or you know, 50 on Navy, but then you're scoring 14 against Clemson or Alabama in the playoff, then I don't care what your average is. It's about being a more explosive offense, which will lead to that success. But if you're going to have that success, then you're also going to be scoring 40, you know, a game. So I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm clear on that as, as we kind of, as we dive into that. So I wanted to, to make sure those, um, uh, and there's a couple people who want to talk some trash. You know, my uh, my guy Cham Gel asked about the you know what's gonna. He said uh, something like, uh, "Now that the Cardinals have Nolan Arenado, you know what happens first? Something about the Reds win the division or Brian Kelly, you know, wins this national championship? Just 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 hurtful, Jeff. You know, it's like, <laughs> just hurtful. And then and somebody else asked, "Do you think Arenado will help the Cardinals lap the Cubs? I'm yes. just saying, yes, shot fired." Shots are being fired. Uh, and then we'll wrap up here. Uh, Michael Scheller asks, what is the direction of the Reese offense? Indy possibly looking to take a second tight end in the 2022 class has me somewhat concerned. In my opinion, yeah. Notre Dame needs more up-tempo. Uh, Mike, I had the same question last night. I think Vince and I might have had this conversation off the air. It's really concerning me that Notre Dame is looking to take a second tight end in this class, which means they're going to have two and back-to-back-to-back years. And it tells me – Uh, One is maybe they don't have as much confidence in some of the older players, which could be true. Uh, It also tells me they're doubling down on what they did in 2020. And and we're going three tight ends, and that's what we're doing. Because if you're going to run three tight ends all the time, then you know you need more guys on the roster, and that's concerning to me. And that's my biggest fear is that Brian Kelly is stubbornly going to just double down and say this is what we're going to do, because he's more concerned with going making sure that they go ten and two every year than he is about being a more aggressive because a more aggressive offense is going to lead to potential for more turnovers. Uh, and Brian Kelly, it seems to just be in a situation now where it, look, this is just based on his actions that as long as they go 10 and two or occasionally have that 12 and 0 season, he's okay. If they get blasted in the playoff because he went 12 and one, and then he can say, Hey, look, we were number five. And of course we can't beat Alabama. Of course we can't score on Ole Miss. I mean, on Alabama, I mean, Ole Miss can score on Alabama and Florida can score on Alabama, but uh, we can't for some reason that I yeah. still don't understand. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that's Mike. I had the same concern, buddy. I had the same thought when I saw that they're offering new tight ends. Now it could be something else. It could be maybe they're hearing that a, somebody's looking in somewhere else, and you know there could be reasons for it that we don't know about yet. So I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. But I'll, I'll, if I'm being honest, that was my first reaction: was are they doubling down on what they did? And um, you know. Hopefully that's not the case. And, and I'm, I'm also concerned with some of the quarterbacks offers that they're making and some of the emphasis that, you know, they're looking at like, you know, do they like Steve Angeli more than Gavin Wimsett? If so, that tells me, again, they're looking for a more pro style drop back, you know, Jack Cone kind of guy as opposed to a more dynamic game changer. And, um, you know, and, and so I because if they sign Steve Angeli, it just tells me like, you look, what was Tyler Buckner surrounded by? He was surrounded by Drew Pine and, you know, Steve Angeli. And then I start thinking like, well, one one guy doesn't fit here. 
And, you know, then does Drew, does Tyler Buckner get Jerkovich'd? You know what I mean? That's the question that I have. <laughs> you nice know? little word. Nice I little word. Uh, into a verb. Yeah. Uh, so, but, you know, my hope is that it's, it's for other reasons reasons um and as i've said before i'm okay i think you can be an explosive offense using two tight ends go go watch alabama the last six seven games of the year Aaron two tight ends a lot so being multiple tight ends doesn't mean you're not going to be up tempo doesn't mean you're not going to run rpos it doesn't mean you're not going to be explosive it just means that you you now you need to have Devonte smith more so than doing it the other way so that's kind of that's kind of my thoughts but um and then the last one uh because we had a couple who are your picks to start at receiver spots in 2021 i see austin Lindsay, and davis which is a very fast group. What 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 is the best we should hope to see? Um, I don't think Lindsey starts. I think he's too injury prone. I, I well, I, I I, unless it. they start and then don't play him as much. I think the, the Vince, where you and I are on the same pages, he he's not a sixty snap per game guy. He right. just he's not. You need to kind of use him as a change of pace guy. Get him thirty to thirty five, maybe some forty snaps a game, and and when he's in the game, target him. Use his speed, whether it's him setting up as a decoy or getting Absolutely. him the ball. But I could see a scenario in which, you know, maybe you have a Jordan Johnson out there and, and then Braden kind of rotates in. And, and again, yeah. when you get him in the game, get him the ball. I don't care if the other team knows that because then you, if you're smart, you can use that to your advantage. Yes. So, um, Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts, they, they've got to play. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. I want a rotation. I don't want the same three guys out there all the time. Right. And then, you know, one guy with three tight ends. Like, I right. don't. I'm sorry, right. six guys playing regularly. That's I also don't know how available Kevin Austin is going to be in the spring because of the foot surgery because they pushed it off uh, as long as they did, which I don't think that was necessarily only Notre Dame's decision. I think that was also Kevin's decision. From what, I get that. Right. So, you know, that how, how does he come back? I think that could factor into it as well. But I, I don't really care as much about who starts. I care about who finishes. You know, I mean, Brock Wright was listed as a starter all year, and, you know, he, he wasn't. Um, you know, so I just hope they have a rotation. I want to see those three guys that you mentioned. I want to see Lawrence Keys. I want to see Xavier Watts. I want to see Jordan Johnson. I want to see those guys get a chance. I want to see Lorenzo Styles returning punts. You know, I want you've got weapons. Use yeah, them. Use so them. We don't we don't have any playmakers. Yeah, you do. They're standing behind the coach. Put them in the game. Use them. Yeah. Um, so look, that's what's kind of exciting is is hopeful is uh, let's see the changes they make because if Brian Kelly, he's got Notre Dame so close. That's the that's the thing where he. He's got him so close, and he's done a great job of that. Notre Dame was a joke program before he got hired. Yep. He's got him so close, and that's also what makes it so freaking frustrating because it's like, just do it. Make those last two changes. Recruit your butt off and open the offense up, and you're good to go. You've done so many great things. So that's kind of where we're at. But, Vince, this has been fun, man. And uh, we, we had a couple questions about whether or not we are going to make this a uh, permanent thing. We'd like to. Now, there's going to be some weeks where, look, I'm traveling or he's traveling or there's a family thing going on. We may have to kind of record it and play it. But we'd really like to do this. If you guys show up and ask questions, we'll do it. This is fun. Um, you it'll, know, be, we, it'll be about this time. It'll be yeah. kind of that 1 to 1.15 to about 2 to 2.15 in that right. neighborhood. So, uh, yeah, our goal is on Fridays. Why not, man? Let's do some live. Like, yeah. this is a lot of fun. I, I like taking questions uh, kind of off the cuff. Yeah. And, and we apologize if we didn't get to uh, some of your questions. Yeah, I think I think, I think we, we got, got to most of them. them. Yeah, I think we got to most of them. There was some tight end questions earlier, but I think you answered that when we talked about tight ends. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So, no, good stuff. And, uh, look, guys, we really appreciate it. Um, we, uh, we're excited with where this YouTube channel is going. Uh, no question about it. 
and um, it's because of you guys. So mm-hmm. make sure you guys stay locked into the YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe. Obviously, if you're watching, you've already subscribed, I'm guessing. Yeah. So, uh, But get your friends on here. And uh, make sure you check out uh, irishbreakdown.com as it scrolls along the bottom notification there. notification buttons as well when you subscribe. So yes. that way, every time we put a video up, they let you know about it. And we're good Little to go. Bell. Hit that bell. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and then also our, our uh, podcast. Make sure you, wherever you get your podcast, make sure you uh, uh, take care of business there and subscribe. But uh, until next time, oh, over here, that's Brian. Irish Break. Oh, it's some, people were asking about the merch. And that's something we're looking into. Yeah, I never really thought that people would want it. So I didn't really do any research on it. I just got stuff for me, Vince, and my dad. And then people started asking about it. So I I mean, I didn't get this stuff thinking like, ah, we're going to sell it. I mean, you always back your mind maybe. But um, got a lot of requests for it. And uh, we're looking for a vendor um, and looking for some other things. So we are looking into it. But I appreciate you all reaching out. I mean, that's that's awesome. That's pretty cool. a, and I, I always say it's because my, my wife actually designed the logo and she designed all this because she's a graphic designer. And, uh, you know, so she, I, it's really because of her. She's wicked smart. and I like it. So we'll, we'll let you know as soon as we have something, we'll have an announcement. But I don't I don't know if it's going to be anytime soon because we got a lot. We got a lot on our plate right yeah, now when it comes to the site, YouTube and all that. So, but if you have if you know some ideas or vendors or whoever else that that you know people work with or you've worked with, shoot them along to me. Hit me up a DM. My DMs are open on Twitter. Uh, email address is about as easy as I can make it. Brian at irishbreakdown.com. My name's with a Y. It's right there, right? So Brian with a Y uh, at irishbreakdown.com. So shoot me an email. and uh, It's a lot harder. You know, we'll answer it, but anything you want to send to Brian, he'll let me know. So, uh, But you can always uh, reach me through Twitter too. Coach D'Addario. That's, that's pretty easy. So, yep. um, so anyway, we're going to go. Uh, but we appreciate everybody uh, logging on and having some fun with us. Again, that's Brian. I'm Vince. And uh, we'll talk to you next time on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. today during the Jeep celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.